Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I want to welcome everyone to episode number 11 of Matt Memories from Madison Square Garden, a 50-year retrospective, the early years of the WWF, the WWF, and the WWE, the mecca of professional wrestling, a building that every wrestler wanted to wrestle in. We record one show a month to coincide with the 50th anniversary of a wrestling house show at Madison Square Garden. And to help me look back, as always, is a man who went to every wrestling house show at Madison Square Garden for a five years straight, starting in August 30th, 1971, Mr. Wrestling himself, John Rizzi. John, how you doing today? Tim, I am I'm happy to say that uh, here we are at episode 11. Yep. Just think how many more years of this we have to do. <laughs> that, that think about that, that for a second. That didn't sound positive, but like we're looking back 50 years. Every every time we no, talk. No, I'm excited. <laughs> I get excited every every time we do this because, it, it you know, with my old mind, with this 65-year-old brain of mine, having the ability to flash back 50 years without taking any uh, you know, recreational pharmaceuticals is a really cool thing for me. So uh, I am happy to be here for episode 11 to cover this historic night at Madison Square Garden and uh, and then continue on for another three, four years, whatever it may be. I don't even mind taping this show after the time I stopped going to the garden and just to do it so we can talk and see each other on this uh, technology uh, that we're taping this fine podcast on. That was good. I like that. I like that a lot. And, and speaking of podcasts, you your your new podcast, your new baseball podcast, has uh, made a little couple of changes here. No, and there. no, no, no. Yeah. Well, let's just talk about that for a second. But you know why I'm in such a good mood? Why? Why? Let me ask you. Let me ask you. Why, John? Are you in such a good mood? Well, we're taping this on July the 22nd, and 40 minutes ago, I, uh, I I was informed that Vince McMahon is retiring. Really? Yes. What does that What does and that mean? I, I'm happy for the future of the company. Well, I mean, he's had a lot of problems recently, you know, with all the non-disclosure agreements, the hush money payments, and all of that stuff that's out there. Uh, and and it seems as though uh, he is not there no more. And whatever the reasons are, really behind it, which anyone can imagine, that the board of directors has been. Uh, certainly looking into uh, his escapades over the last several years. I just feel a little bit vindicated from 30 years ago covering all this stuff and all the culture that uh, existed at that time. 
All I know is that if creative is taken over by a guy like Triple H or Paul Heyman or a combination of both, it'll be better for the wrestling fans. Vince had his hand on everything. Vince approved everything. I mean, now the company can really grow creatively, I feel. If there's new blood, new direction, and you have a board of directors there, you got a smart guy in Tony Khan. Uh, Tony Khan, he's AEW. But Nick Khan, who's running the show there as a CEO, a co-CEO with Stephanie McMahon. So if Vince is truly retiring and he made the announcement on Twitter today and now everything is blowing up, I think it's good for the wrestling business. And But he's got to adhere to this retirement and he can't be pulling strings behind the scenes. That's what I was thinking. Will he be pulling strings behind the scenes as I grab a drink of water? Yeah, I, I, I'm. you know, who knows? It's big news. It's uh, probably the biggest news in the history of uh, wrestling, at least in the modern era, which dates back from the time that we, you know, we start, I start covering wrestling years and years ago, 50 years ago like this. So, I, I mean, I'm happy for the WWE universe uh, that there'll be some new leadership on top. And it was a, it was, it's an infusion, hopefully, of uh, some really good creative changes that'll take place. And uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. But there's been a lot of... Uh, there's a lot of things that have gone on over the last 30 plus years. And hopefully this is a way to finally uh, put that chapter to bed finally. And if you don't know what they are, you can go back and listen to Pro Wrestling Spotlight and hear exactly yes. what was going on. What is that now? That's uh, 32, year, 32 years ago around? Uh, yeah, I mean, I started covering the scandals really in 19... 19- Really, Billy Graham came on my show in March of 1990 to talk about his uh, the way his body is broken down from years of steroid abuse. We did a whole hour with Billy, and that was kind of before the Zaharian arrest. And uh, and then I really started covering it in earnest in 1991 and went down to cover the trial of Dr. George Zaharian in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And, you know, all the scandals, the stories that I uncovered, the stories that I broke, uh, uh, the agony of developing uh you know, us trying to be a journalist and 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 getting the the backlash that I got over the years, and then the sex scandals, of course, and you know, and then coming back into wrestling a few years ago, and here we go with scandals again, all over again. I felt like you know, deja vu all over again, as they used to say. But anyway, we'll see what happens. Uh, but to answer your question about the Gibby the Gibby show, the uh, the podcast, the baseball podcast, yeah, changes were made in that we had called the show The Fanagers because John technically uh, wanted to keep his name off of it originally just because he's uh, a special assignment scout for the Atlanta Braves. The season, his scouting season is over now. I mean, there's no more, you know, the baseball draft has come and gone. And John has really decided to uh, be front and center. Uh, with the podcast. So uh, Stu Stone was helping us initially with it. He's been uh, removed from the situation. The show will be called Gibby, the John Gibbon show. And uh, his book is uh, is coming out in spring of next year, which is called Gibby Tales of a Baseball Lifer. And we have great engagement right now. We're, we're in discussions with some mighty big people about the distribution of this podcast. And uh, we hope to relaunch it with a big platform sometime uh, before October 1st, uh, between September and October 1st, when baseball and the playoff season heats up. We taped a, a bit of a pilot last weekend, which uh, the parties that we were talking to loved. Uh, so we have a, uh, a conversation uh, the week after next with these individuals who are uh, major players, is all I can say. So I'm excited. Right now, I'm, ho- I'm co-hosting with him. 
and we'll see where that goes. I mean, uh, I love it. He thinks we have a great chemistry with each other. I'm excited about uh, the future with uh, uh, working with John Gibbons because it keeps me in the game that I so dearly love, which is baseball. And uh, and I think you knew that I wanted to change the name of my book or I wanted to call my book. I should have stayed in baseball. That's what I wanted to call it, but the publisher wouldn't let me. Oh. Uh, so we went with the Matt Memories thing. But yeah, but, but you know now- I love baseball. Now, now you got your, your, your favorite memories. You got baseball and you got old time wrestling. Right. So you got it all. What else can I ask for? It's like Christmas. Making a living from something? No, 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 no. I didn't say you know, no, no. We didn't go that I far. I mean this is all this is this is all freebie. What why should you make money from some some things that you love? That's a good point. Isn't that a, well, I mean you should. Yeah. That's what that's what life is supposed <laughs> to be all about, you know. And the and the Gibby stuff and everything that we're doing with the book and, you know, talking to some major brands about uh uh sponsorships and uh, book tours and all that. I mean, 2023 should be a great year, but uh, you know, in the wrestling business, I've accustomed, I've been accustomed to not making money. So this is pure joy for me to turn this microphone on, to connect with you via this uh, this uh, platform. I guess uh, on Streamyard today to see your face and to have fun discussing what I did as a 14, 15 year old kid. How old was I in uh, 1972? I was 15 years old when the, the show took place. All right, 15 years old. And, and I sound young today, don't oh, I, oh, Tim? I, I, I'm not actually looking at it right now. I'm looking at the notes, so I can't tell if it's young Johnny Arizzi or it's the older John Arizzi. Right. I can't tell. I can't tell. I still I still can't grow facial hair. <laughs> you're just saying that because I have a great beard. Is that what you're trying to say? No, I can't do it. I can't. Look at it. I, I You know, I used to have some mutton chops when I was in college. And now I can't even grow these little these little things. It took me like three months to grow this. Oh my! Maybe I need to some testosterone uh, <laughs> supplements or something. Well, there are some people on the card tonight with testosterone. But like, let's let, before we go there, um, we do this for the love, but also to keep the lights on. We always thank our patreons. The patreons really help us out. It's Patreon.com/slash John Arizzi. New stuff going up all the time. John, what have you added to the Patreon so far this week? Uh, there's so much, really. Getting serious for a second, or just kind. Kind of being informative for everybody out there. The Patreon page, we revamped it a little bit. There's a ton of content. First of all, you get the archives of the Pro Wrestling Spotlight radio show. For five bucks a month, you get the entire library from April 1989 right through August of 1992 with a new show going up each and every week. You get these shows unedited with commercials. And you know what's so great about that? Now that the scandal is going on with the WWE, you can go back and listen to what was going on back there, and you can hear what was being developed at that time and how back then, when things happened, they got pushed under the rug. And now they'll make maybe more sense. And there's going to be people coming out now talking about what happened back then. And you can hear how it went down back then on these podcasts. Yeah, that's very true. I mean, we uh, we have been talking about these recent developments on the podcast as well, uh, on the Pro Wrestling Spotlight podcast. But yes, it is a good way to look back at what happened 30 years ago, 31 years ago, and to kind of follow it and you know from what really happened in real time back then. That's an advantage. And for the $5 a month uh, membership, you get the podcast early, like this podcast that we're taping today. They will get it early as soon as you deliver it to me editing wise it goes right up for them and then we release it to everybody else later on uh we have photo sets up there and in particular for this particular show uh july 29th 1972 we're going to share a link of some of the matches from that night 
uh, although people can find them on YouTube, but you know, or, you know, they won't get the direct link unless they're a patron. How's that, that sound? That sounds great. Uh, so, <laughs> for ten bucks a month, not only do you get the audio, you get exclusive audio. You get backstage interviews I conducted as a kid at Madison Square Garden in my teen years. You get my college shows. You get other interviews and other uh, things that are just kind of historic in nature. You also get videos at the $10 a month level. You get to see uh, videos of the shows I promoted, the Weekend of Champions stuff. There's just so much content up there. And for 25 bucks, you get all the 8mm film access. You get photo sets each and every uh, every other week. I put up a, a group of 12 photos or so from, the, from those days back then at the Garden. And let me ask about those photo sets. Do they have watermarks on them or anything? No. So you can blow them up. Not these You sets. can blow them up. People- you can blow them up. Nice. Yeah. You can do that. And then if you want to really uh, help us out in the – in the producer or executive producer level, you get all of that stuff. Plus, we send vintage wrestling magazines to you every month, and you get to appear on the podcast. Uh, for example, yesterday we taped uh, a show number 41, and we had one of our executive producers, Joseph Holloway, who is a superintendent of schools in Michigan, and he gets six times a year, he'll be able to come on and do an analysis of the show we covered 30 years ago, ask any questions he may like, and have a conversation with him, have him be part of the show. And Anthony Pyrus is one of the other executive producers. He was on last week, and then we have on the producer-level front, on the executive producer front, you get six times a year, you get to be on the show. For a producer level, which is $50 a month, you get all the benefits Plus, you get to be on the podcast four times a year, every quarter. That's awesome. I, you're doing so much with it. And it's all about the love of wrestling. Back in the day, not a lot of people talk about wrestling back in the day. And not only do you get this podcast, but you get your other podcast. And I, also, I like your original broadcasts from, if you weren't, maybe you heard about them back in the day. Maybe you heard that there's a wrestling show out of New York and you weren't able to hear it. You can listen to it now just the way it was broadcast back in 1990. That is correct. And uh, if you go to this website and you put in this promo code, no, they were sounding like a like an infomercial. Right? I just, I just, was, I was, you know, it's so funny. We talk about this all the time that John and I met back at W I, BAB, and you were at GBB, and you were doing the weekends, and I wasn't making any money, so they had me come in, and I, I was producing your show with uh, 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 Doctor Whitefinger. Is that we called him? Yes, yes Doctor Whitefinger. We have to have him on. I, I found him. I found Doctor Whitefinger. We'll have to have Doctor Whitefinger okay. on. Um, that's how we became friends, and then uh, we were talking one time. I was doing uh my dad worked for kennedy airport and he had a guy working there that wanted to do baseball card shows at the airport marriott or something and my dad got him in involved in it and then as you know a thank you he had me sit with baseball players during these conventions and um lefty gomez and you know keller i think george keller old yankees i didn't know any of these guys but i knew i, I got to watch and see how a room is run and things like that and when john and i met he was like hey i do a wrestling convention you would like me to you know could you help me out with the wrestling room you know autographs i go absolutely i i, I think it went as good as it could <laughs> i think it went okay i think we moved people oh, along it was fabulous, you know man. but like that's how it we became fabulous. friends you were there and and you know who else gets a chance to get gigged by the original sheet oh that was the second first year we did the flair me so funny that we yeah. speaking of flair because he's retiring and vince is retiring oh it's just so much stuff going on 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. A lot going on. And, uh, and I, I found a picture. I don't know. You probably have it in your archives, but a picture of you and uh, Kerry Von Erich. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I found that the other day when I was looking through some oh, maybe, old stuff. Maybe, so. I would like to see it. Maybe I, someone else took it. Maybe it was a different angle or something. He was at your – it was the first show I went to. That was the second 92. show. So Yeah, it was a 92. It was a 92 show, Kerry and you didn't bring there. him in. Somebody yeah. else brought him in. Yeah, uh, the guy, this guy Mike Illions, now that we're reliving it, I'm reliving it on the podcast right now. Uh, Mike Illions was a dude from New Jersey who wanted to start a BBS service, a, 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 a bulletin board service where the fans could chat with me like via the internet or whatever the internet was called back then. And Mike uh, had booked uh, at the convention, Carrie Von Eric, woman who was fallen angel then, Kevin Sullivan, dirty white girl, I believe. Yep. So he put like four or five people in, you know? So that was 30 years ago. Yeah. Uh, so, so I'm trying, that was, that was the second year. Hon, that was the third year of your convention. That was Weekend of Champions 3, yeah, with Bruno's Abisco Reunion, yes. Jushin Thunder Liger, Wendy Richter, Captain Lou Albano, Ivan Koloff, Killer Kowalski, uh, Jimmy Valiant, Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert. Uh, we had a lot of talent there. Smoky Mountain Wrestling had set up a table, I believe, and uh, or is that the 93? I don't remember. Uh, and we had some really cool shit happening there. It was it was then. great. It, it was really and and it was amazing. I remember the super ticket having the super ticket and like you can get things signed by everybody there and it was it was cool. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. I think it was it was like two dollars, right? It was it was so inexpensive. Oh and it, what I do remember, and this is kind of <laughs> sad, but like a lot of the wrestlers, the older wrestlers, stayed around for a longer time than some of the younger wrestlers in life. You know, Gilbert mm -hmm. passed away, yeah. and so did Kerry. Right. Kerry passed away a couple of years after right. your convention. Uh, one, uh, he died in February of, uh, 93. So it was less than a year after the convention that he had passed and he was in trouble then. Oh yeah. He had just gotten arrested, uh, you know, with 60 counts of, uh, you know, a felony drug, uh, charges. And, uh, he, he was, you know, he wasn't as, he wasn't in the right frame of mind at the convention anyway. I mean, I think he fell down once or something. Uh, and then the saddest part of the whole thing was, um, was Kerry brought the robe that he wore in Dallas, Texas, that he beat uh, Ric Flair that night in honor of his brother David. And that beautiful blue velvet robe with in memory of David on the back was in the auction. Uh, and he auctioned it off. And I think it went for under $1,000 uh, at the time. And now that robe is worth probably fifty. To seventy five thousand at least, because someone bought it. It's it's out there. It's out there. Someone owns it. And I saw pictures of it recently. Oh my gosh! I took a picture of it. Then he had it behind yes. him. I didn't know it went in the auction block.
It went in the auction. Someone wow. bought it for a very low price. Wow. Oh, wow. I did not. Yeah, you learn something new every day. I did not know he was selling it. Wow. Oh, yeah. my gosh. I remember yeah. the first year with the flare robe that went up. Yes. That yeah, that uh, robe has been found as well. So the person who bought that robe, I think he spent a couple of grand for it at the time. I thought it was like ten. Th and I not, thought it was like ten grand or something. No, no was that no, high? No, no, it was no, only no. a couple. No, no, it wasn't. Uh, maybe it was three thousand. It wasn't more than five thousand okay. for sure. I know. I know. Rick uh, was telling us that um, how much he paid for them originally, and he was happy yeah, what he got. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, he was. That was an extra cash. I paid him five grand in cash to be there, which was a lot of money back then. And uh, now he's getting a hundred, <laughs> whatever it oh, is. Oh yeah, yeah. No uh, one, but yeah. that that robe is that robe is gone. That robe went for I think in the last sale it robe went for twenty five or thirty thousand dollars. The last time it was sold. Wow. Oh, so see see what you get out of the show. We didn't even know we were going to talk about this stuff. See what you get. That's we do have to do. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you what. I, I want to do a special episode. Um, with you, Richie, myself, anybody else that we can get together um, and put on Patreon of, of the conventions and talk about the behind the scenes of the conventions. Oh, sure. I think sure. you know a we lot of great stuff. Donnie Libel was there. Just things that were going on yeah. that I have stories that I talk about with you all the time. You have stories. Richie has stories about sitting with Ivan Yeah, Koloff. and then we'll fly, fly some video in from yeah. it. Yeah, you know? so. I think that'd be great because just great memories. And it's, it's so unusual how today – they just very common, and everyone does them. But back then, there was wrestling convention. None. There was nothing like it. Yeah. Baseball, we're still in the infancy. There's only a few people, even in baseball, that were making the money. It was like, oh, the Mickey Mantles were expensive, or the Duke Schneiders, or things like that. That was it. And then other people, everything else was trying to, you know, up and come. But there was never any other sport besides baseball. When you did the wrestling, it was like, is this going to go anywhere? And the crowd was amazing. It was just amazing. And people brought, you know came out of the woodwork with stuff to get signed by you know flair was big but like i remember seeing stuff instead in front of you know um nature boy buddy rogers and luthez and people bringing things and i know eddie gilbert actually bought like one of his belts with him at one time it was pretty impressive mm -hmm. it was very impressive good times good times yes they were so let's get back on track you want to get a little back on track here john <laughs> Yeah, let's go way back, let's, 50 years. Let's go 50 years back. Today's show is July 29th, 1972, attendance 17,398. John was saying earlier that there is a YouTube out of some of the matches. You know, the clip is Championship Wrestling at Madison Square Garden, July 29th, 1972. And they just give a few, a couple of the matches, but you get to see what it was like at the Garden, what it looked like. Um, I think they're doing the Steel uh, Monsoon match and also the Spoiler versus Morales matches. The main event. The main event. It was the main yeah, event. Yeah, which is kind of cool. You get to get the idea of what we talk about every week here on the on the show. Exactly. Let's get into tonight's show, July 29th, 1972. Ticketron, John? You got the tickets from Ticketron? Yeah, most likely that or the box office. I mean, uh, I don't have a clear memory of uh, this particular show, but it's most likely. I, I, I did ticket ticket uh, Tron for most of the shows until I found out about the guy that took the bribe, and then I start, sat in the first row. There you go. We'll get to that in the future. We'll get to the, definitely the bribe. Do you remember? Oh yeah, we had that's 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 going into seventy four. Okay. 75. So we still got a couple of years for do that. Do you remember where you sat? Uh, for this particular yeah. show, I was at ringside. Okay, your ringside. I was at ringside. And do you remember the buildup for this show? Any buildup? You know, we talked about the women. The women were to build up on TV? Uh, this one, I mean, there was the uh, there was the main event. I mean, it, was, it wasn't like a show that really was, um, uh, you know, loaded, like, with feuds or something. Because the spoiler who they had this big gimmick on TV and they put the X on the screen because he did the claw hold and 
but it wasn't it wasn't a huge uh, feud. It it was just uh, it was a title match against Pedro and. And then you had a, a, a kind of a cool undercard with a couple of out, uh, you know, for hardcore fans like me, some people that you just read about in the magazines uh, were featured on the show. And so I guess we'll get into that. All right, let's get into the show. First match, Chuck O'Connor defeated Tomas Marin in 16 minutes, five seconds. First of all, a couple of things off of this match before I went. 16 minutes for the first match. That's a long time. Yeah, that was a kind of a long match. And Chuck was uh, making his... Uh, uh, way into the Federation and, you know, trained by Killer Kowalski, came in with kind of long and tall and lean, which I remember about him then with kind of a longish hair, almost like with bangs. And and he had these purple tights on with the th- Thunderbolts on the side, the golden Thunderbolts, though. That was Killer Kowalski's trademark. Oh, I didn't know that. Kowalski trained the dude. Yeah, that's right. So that, that makes a lot of sense. And he turned out to be a pretty good wrestler, didn't he? Yeah, he did, and they eventually, uh, years later, won the tag team championship together. Kowalski and uh, Chuck O'Connor, who was then, uh, uh, they turned themselves into a team called the Executioners. Oh, the Executioners. But uh, did Chuck do anything else? Would we remember Chuck for anything else in his career? Well, Big John Studd. You know, I, that's I, kind I of could, a big uh, transition, yeah, isn't he it? Was big John Studd. He got rid of the got rid of the black tights after he wore the Thunderbolts, and then he went to white tights, and now he was Big John Studd. Yeah, grew the big beard, and uh, you know, was one of the the most historic big men in the wrestling business in history. And he died so young. He died at like forty seven. Um, and yeah. yeah, just he, he was a legendary big man. He was uh, part of the first ma- first WrestleMania at Madison Square Garden. Him versus Andre. He was and. With that, uh, you know, you, you get to slam Andre, or he, if Andre slams him, they throw the money to the, you know, they had the big bag of money. They were throwing money into the crowd. When, when did, when, was that, that was before the haircut? When was that? I'm trying to, but when was the haircut? When did they cut Andre's uh, hair? It was WrestleMania 1. So when did they do the haircut? I don't remember the haircut. What haircut? They cut Andre's hair, him and Ken Patera. Oh, yeah. That probably, maybe, maybe it was an angle leading up to that WrestleMania. Could, probably was. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. I'm sure somebody listening to this would know. Took it off tracks. You know? Thank you very much. I'm sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> let me take it. Let's go to match number two. El Olimpico defeated the Black Demon in 15 minutes and five seconds. Interesting about this match, John. Two masked wrestlers wearing open face masks. Yes, uh, because uh, they were outlawed. You couldn't wear the mask. That was a New York State Athletic Commission rule. And, and so El Olimpico and Black Demon, they both look like idiots with that, that cut out which I never could understood. Just take the whole, just take the whole hood off. What's the purpose? And even the spoiler. I mean, he, he wore a hood for many years as the spoiler, but you know, he at least was smart enough to take the whole hood off and show his handsome face. Don Jardine was his name. And uh, El Olimpico, what was it like a black demon, El Olimpico, um, Mexican wrestlers? How did that, how did they, how did they work with the crowd here? Was it a good, good for the crowd where they, I think I went out and got a little popcorn during that match. Okay. Don't remember much from that match. So it couldn't be anything. Well, fantastic. I mean, it was, it was, you know, it was a throwaway. Yeah. It was a throwaway. El Olimpico was a good, you know, great drop kicks, a little bit of a high flyer. Black Demon was an older guy, uh, you know, traditional heel. Uh, so, I mean, it, it was what it was. Let's put it that way. Gotcha. And this is probably, you know, one of the last times, this year exactly is the last time you'll be seeing that kind of whole mask because uh, six months later from now, Mil Maskeritz will make his Garden debut and he will full wear the full mask. 
Yes, he got that. Uh, he got that rule waived, and uh, he was such a huge star uh, to uh, the Lucha Libre audience and the and the folks out in Los Angeles who he was seen in New York on Channel Forty One. So you couldn't bring Moscris in, and he wouldn't come in if he had to wear that cutout mask. He would he would not have appeared ever in New York if that rule was uh, still uh, on the books. Interesting, interesting. Uh, match number three, Mario Soto defeated Juan Carlos. No, 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 Tim, what? Juan Caruso. Let me do it again. Let me do it again. <laughs> no, no, let's continue. Yeah, no, you'll learn. Juan Caruso. Juan Caruso. Not Carlos. Subbing for Jimmy Valiant that yes. night. 15 minutes, 25 seconds. Well, let me ask you a trivia question about Juan Caruso. What was he most famous for in the ring? Do you remember? Oh, Juan Cruz, Juan Cruz, Juan Cruz, Juan Cruz, Juan Cruz. <laughs> yeah, you're never going to get I it. have no idea. I would say drop kicks. He used to come in with a big bolo. Oh, okay. Swing it around. Okay. And other than that, he didn't do anything impressive. <laughs> hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. <laughs> and, the, you know, going back to just timing of, uh, of this, so we're looking at the first three matches, and the first three matches are, you know, wanted it to be like 45 minutes. That's rare. Yeah, it was. It was. They maybe, maybe you know, maybe a plane was late or something. What do you think? Perhaps. It, it could have been. could have very well been. But uh, I wanted to discuss something. This was the first time for me. It was kind of a, a bit of a historic thing for me as a photographer, I discovered before this show that the wrestlers would enter Madison Square Garden through an entrance off of 8th Avenue and 33rd Street. And I took my camera out there and I got there early enough. And this became a tradition for me, uh, beginning with this particular show in July 29, 1972, where I would take pictures of the wrestlers coming out of their cabs and walking into the building. So I do have a great shot of Don Jardine, the spoiler, who was wearing this gold uh, sports jacket with a purple tie. I never forget it because I got the picture somewhere, right? And with this uh, metallic uh, attache case. And he walked in with these dark glasses, sunglasses on, looked like a million bucks. And then a few minutes later, who comes out of a cab? Mula. As soon as you find these pictures, John, I'd love to see them up on the Patreon because I I'd love to. Were they, were yeah. they like the full body shots from a distance, or did you get? Were they up close, like where you had the? No, I mean Mula was kind of full body shot. John Don Jardine was as well, uh, and I believe I even probably got Susan Green uh, as well, and maybe George Steele, a few of those, uh, a Tanaka for sure too. I mean, I remember I was just like going crazy. Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh my god. Here they all are. They're coming in like one after the other. I, you know, I don't know where mine is, but I will send you my shot of behind the scenes. I was at uh, Boston Garden and I got Mr. Fuji walking around back, uh, uh, going back to his car. So I got that. <laughs> isn't that you know? a special feeling, isn't it, it? it? You know what? I look back at that picture and I'm always like, oh, look at Mr. Fuji wearing his sweatpants and his t shirt. You know, you're just like, oh, it kind of ruins it for you, but also kind of like, you know, look what I got. It's something special. So I, I know the feeling what you're yeah. going through is you're getting these special shots of people you've never seen 
dressed before. Yeah, and I remember Monsoon. He had a attache case as well, and he had this brown sport coat on with a white shirt walking in and had a big smile on his face. I mean, uh, these are memories that I'm really uh, remembering right now also for the first time about uh, some of these performers coming in. I mean, it's like I was there. And what was really cool about that, uh, that little circle, I mean, there was there was a... Uh, there was a like a this circle where people would sit. There was like a tree on it or something, and you'd start to meet fans that were there every every month and develop a sort of friendships with. I think that's where I first met Mike Abrams, who was the photographer who eventually tipped me off on how he got his first row seats uh, a couple of years later. But this was a this became a tradition on every show to go out there and see at least in the summer months because in the fall when it started to get dark at five o'clock or five thirty. Then, you know, you couldn't take pictures. I mean, it was too dark. So in the summer, those were kind of things to look forward to back then. That's cool. That's really cool. Well, let, let's go to match number four. Let's do one it. Of the, one of the people you photographed coming into the building, the women's champion, the fabulous Mula, pinned Susan Green in five minutes, 44 seconds. Yes, Lillian Ellison, uh, you know, came in and uh, she defeated Susan Green, who at that time was a tall Texan, blonde hair, kind of a red, white, and blue ring attire, and uh, just a very attractive girl for 15 years old uh young guy uh, who was you know hormones were raging you know susan green was like oh my god look how cute she is you know that was me as a 15 year old and then you find out that most of the girls were gay anyway so uh you know that's kind of what what was what was what was there i didn't know anything about that back when i was a kid but uh you know it's kind of funny like, because she was like out of all the female wrestlers that were there was like her and then vivian vachon who was just incredibly beautiful. I had such a big crush on her. She was the sister of the Vashon brothers. Oh, now then their daughter, whose daughter is Luna? Uh, that would be Paul Vashon, Butcher, Butcher Vashon. All right, because that's when I, I I remember that. Uh, but you didn't, so the, you like Susan Green, but Mula, nothing, did nothing for you? Nothing, Mula? Nothing? No, no, Mula never did anything for me, <laughs> even when I saw her on TV, you know, and uh, I mean, she was just uh, old and haggard a little bit, you know. She was not really old even back then, but she just she just didn't do anything for me. She was she was a little rough around the edges, let's put it that when way. When she was at your convention, she was sweetest pie to me. She was so nice to me. Well, she's such a sweet Southern belle. She is. I remember meeting her in 1974 when I won that Freddie Blasser fan club in Atlanta, Georgia, and got in that elevator, and there she was, and she gave me a big congratulations. And, I love Freddie Blass. You know, I was like, well, thank you, Miss Moolah. And, of course, she didn't train you, so she didn't ask you for any money. So that's true, too. Let's go on to match that number. <laughs> Let's go to match number five. George the Animal Steel defeated Gorilla Monsoon via countout. Monsoon was knocked down on the apron, 11 minutes, 14 seconds. This is one of the videos you can see on YouTube right now. Yeah, yeah, and a, and a hot crowd, uh, very a lot of heat in this match. Uh, Steel, of course, being the animal that he was before they turned him into a green tongue, you know, with a stuffed animal. Uh, but this was way before that. This is when he was legitimately frightening to look at. And, and Monsoon took a, a really big bump in this match. And uh, he was big man, uh, landed, uh, knocked down on the ring apron, counted out. That was uh, that was the way George Steele won that match. And now uh, in the mid-60s, Gorilla Monsoon became one of the six shareholders of the WWF. Do you know, do you remember who the other five were? Arnie Skolan, okay. Angelo Savoldi, Willie Gilsenberg. Phil Zacco, um, and there was probably one more. Vince? 
Uh, senior. I mean, he owned it. Yeah. I mean, but that's probably Vince Senior. Yeah, I mean, that makes, uh, that makes but, six. No, I, I yeah. didn't know that they, they were like that. And then when Vince Junior came over, he just got them all. I guess is that how it went? He paid them all. Paid them all. Paid them all off. I mean, he only bought the company. He only bought the company from his father for a million dollars, and now it's worth four to five billion dollars. That was before today. Because you never know what's going to happen with the whole, you know. Oh, with him leaving, <laughs> the valuation of the company will go up. I didn't know Believe lawsuits. Me, once, lawsuits? Who knows? Once, once the turnaround happens creatively and, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. I guess you're I guess they're not going to plan on selling this thing for six months to a year. There's a lot going on there. I mean, you have television partners from Fox to uh, NBC Universal. The heat was turned up. Full blast right now. So anyway, let's. Uh, I, I digress. Let's get back to the garden fifty years ago. <laughs> Sorry, I had to go there again. Uh, match number six: Paul Jones, who I love. Paul Jones defeated Jerry Briscoe in thirteen minutes fifty nine seconds. Yes, these were two of the guys that I mentioned in uh, the opening that uh, I'd only read about in the magazines. Paul Jones was a uh, a heel at the time, and Jerry Briscoe, the younger, the kid brother of Jack Briscoe. Uh, it was great to see them and and to see them for the first time and uh, and it was a surprise uh, when Jones defeated Briscoe because I thought it would be uh, the other way around but uh, Jones was more established at the time Briscoe was really just getting started in the business and a little bit of a trivia question for you what did Paul Jones do very well at outside of the wrestling business oh outside okay outside of the wrestling business where he became pretty wealthy from this really? endeavor. Um, I'm, I'm going to yeah. go something crazy and like raise horses or something. Nope. Amway sales. You're kidding me. He was one of the first no. ones in the pyramid. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. It is. I, you know, I, I love Paul Jones from back when I was a kid in the eighties when he was a manager and yes. it was the NWA back then. And they did such a good job. Paul Jones people were never going for the titles. They were great mid carters. So it was J Paul mm -hmm. Jones army versus Jimmy Valiant. And it was a long-running feud, yeah. I remember. And they weren't the high card, but you know, you're going to see an event or you're going to watch it. You want to, you want to see the main guys, but in the middle card, that's where Paul Jones people would be at. And I always enjoyed that. He was always, you know, it's something else to look forward to in, in a, on a card. Absolutely, and it was a great, uh, you know, great first time me seeing him in person. And uh, it was, uh, yeah, that was kind of one of my highlights of this particular night. Actually, was he doing like uh, Lanny Pomfrey used to throw frisbees? Was he handing out Amway things like, hey guys, you know, twenty five? percent off 25 percent off anything like that. oh it would not be yeah. nice yeah no 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 there's no nothing like that going on but i do remember the kangaroos used to throw these uh these these cardboard boomerangs which they throw to the crowd before and uh i had actually gotten one of those i heard i no, heard that uh uh lanny and uh macho man randy used to run after those and that's where lanny got his idea yes exactly right I'm doing that exactly I thought right that was very cool uh let's go to the main event wwf heavyweight champion pedro morales pinned the spoiler with a cross body off the top rope backdrop in 20 minutes 44 seconds another long match long match uh back and forth uh, morales gets the pin with his signature move off the top rope that cross body which very few people did it as well as pedro morales did very believable got him rolled him up pinned him one two three Crowd goes wild. And what really was kind of cool about this, especially uh, when we share this YouTube clip, uh, because it was uh, several minutes of that match. Uh, not all 20, obviously. I think it was, you know, 
four or five minutes of it, but it really uh, gave you a sense of uh, the dynamics of the crowd, uh, Morales coming back and getting the finishing move, getting that cross body, seeing the fans erupt at the end of it. That was always something at the Garden that there was not, that always gave you cold chills, was the finish of a match. Whether you liked Morales or not, when he got up on that top rope and he delivered that cross body and he got that one, two, three, and the fans erupted, very few things like that to this day that I've experienced watching pro wrestling. It's that pop. Now, nowadays, it seems like you get the pop in the, in the beginning of the match when all of a sudden, here's your music, and they pop with the music. The popping of the pinning isn't a thing anymore a lot. No, no, and that's because the fans back then, you know, for the majority of them that were there in attendance, they thought this was what they were looking at was a legitimate competition. Yeah. And Morales was so great at selling, he would sell like better than anybody. When he got tossed out over the top rope, that bump was the best that I've ever seen. You know, a lot of people talk about Flair running into the corner, flipping upside down, and then walking down the ring apron, which was like, you know, it's almost like automatic when you see Ric Flair match. That's what he's going to do. But it was kind of predictable, even in the 80s and, uh, and when he made a kind of a trademark out of it. But when Pedro Morales flew out over that top rope, I don't know how he did it. I don't know how he didn't get injured. He took a phenomenal over-the-top bump. So all I could say is one of the best things I've ever seen live at a wrestling match. Or, you know, if you go back and watch some of the old films, uh, you'll see what I'm talking about. It's incredible. And, and you know, going back to uh, the 70s again, when you saw something like this, it wasn't like you're going to see a lot of them during the card, no no sense even during the match. You're not going to see a bunch of drop kicks. You're not going to see a bunch of things off the top rope. When someone goes to the top rope and they hit their move, that's it. That's, that's it. That's it. Over. It's over. No kickouts. No kickouts. And and then later on, we're going to see uh, my man uh, uh, Mil Maskris come in, and he does the high fly over. The, so the high flying is an end of the match. This is a really important. And if, he, if they stick it, it's going. The match is going to be over. So that it's building the pop like that. Yeah. Now there's just so many times they do so many different moves. You just never know anymore. Oh right. Everything just. All right. Even Morales with the over the top bump. I mean, that would you know he wouldn't do that. You know, more than once a match. Yeah. I mean, it would just, it's there, and then boom, you know, all the fans are like, then they, they surge the ring. Is he okay? Is he getting up? What's happening? You know, it was, uh, it was pretty incredible to witness. It's pretty cool. And let's go to the last match of the evening WWF Tag Team Champions, Professor Torotanaka and Mr. Fuji fought Jay Strongbow and Sonny King to a 60 minute 11 p.m. curfew. Curfew, uh, of course, at 11 o'clock, you got to shut it down. Uh, New York State Athletic Commission rule. And uh, once you, once you know, even back then when I was kind of not smartened up, so to speak, when you saw a tag team match going on in the the last match of the night, which traditionally is what they used to do, you kind of figured that uh, it was going to go to curfew. I mean, that was just kind of the way you get used to it. You get accustomed to it. Uh, so that was kind of like, all right, uh, this is going to be a draw. And you start inching your way out of the arena so you can catch that 1110 train at a Penn Station to Babylon. So you're up, up, you're, you're right near where the, the walking out, you're going to walk out in a second. And you keep on looking just in case yeah. you hear the crowd going. You look at, and all of a sudden there's the pin. Right. And as soon as the pin hits, what happens? You're out. The light's gone. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's it. It's over. Lights on. Go, go home. Yeah, I mean that's. I used to love when the lights went out. I mean the eight thirty start time. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, which is uh, 
you know, 8.30 was always an interesting time to start yeah, the show. Yeah, that is. I, I wonder why 8.30, you know? and It was late. It is late. Usually, I remember the, like, 7.30. You know, that's that's when I, but yeah. 8.30 is very late. And I never figured it out, 8.30. I mean, that was really late. I mean, they should have really started the show at 7.30. Eight o'clock yeah. latest. Yeah. And this show at the Garden was a Saturday night. July 29th, 1972 was a Saturday night. Right. And that's, you could stay up late. started it early. It was the weekend. Yeah. And you still had the rule, though, that, you know, kids under 14 couldn't get in. True. True. So that's another reason. I mean, it's a, kind of an adult. It was always marketed, you know, for adults only, really, yeah. pro wrestling in New York. Uh, for, you know, adults 14 and up or whatever. But, you know, 14-year-old's not an adult, really. But, uh, uh, but yeah, they, they could have done the differently but uh it was what it was as they say Tim. it was what it was it was what it was so uh how would you judge this show john what do you think hey uh for me the highlights were uh paul jones jerry briscoe uh monsoon against the animal morales of course with the uh, over the top uh the the body press but for me i base the the biggest um in my in my memory uh the thing that stands out was hanging out outside madison square garden and seeing up close and personal the superstars enter the building. All right. We're going we're gonna to try to get those on the Patreon as soon as we can, so you can check out John's memories. And speaking of which, uh, patreon.com slash John Rizzi. If you want to join the community, have some fun, and check out the, all the memories that are going on, not just the old ones, but the, the old memories that are becoming new memories now. And people go, oh, yeah, this is going on since the 90s. Really? Who was talking about it? That guy. That guy right there was talking about it. Back in the 90s, that's the man. You can hear his radio show from back in 90 to 93 when he's talking about all this. And you hear the new podcast talking about it. It's a lot of stuff. Just a lot of stuff. So patreon.com slash John Arizzi. Thank you, Tim, for that wonderful plug. There you go. I only do uh, one, one, one a show. One a show. Uh, speaking of shows, we will not have a show next month because there was no Madison Square Garden house show. Our next show is September 2nd, 1972. And also, uh, John Rich, Richie was just telling me we're going to be doing a bonus show. Did you know that? Yeah, he does. He does want to do a bonus show. And I believe that's uh, about that famous feud that took place. Is that correct? Bruno Pedro? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and the card is a Shea Stadium card. Yes. Yeah, he wants to talk. He wants us to do a show for that. So that will be going on to the Patreon. And we'll decide later on if it will go out to everyone else. But that will definitely be on the Patreon. Yeah. You know, I know what we should do, Tim. I mean, because, you know, Richie does all this great research for us, right? Mm-hmm. Every single episode, he does great research. Yes. And he gives us some little tidbits now and then, a little trivia. Yes. I think we should mention a couple of these little facts. Now that we've talked about the card, okay. now that we've talked about the excitement, some of the people on the show, like the Paul Jones, for example, okay. he made his debut in 1961, since we talked about mm-hmm. him. He retired in 1991, and he was trained by Paul Bosch. First and only Madison Square Garden appearance was this particular night. Oh, wow. It's a nice little tidbit. That is. That's a nice little tidbit, wasn't it? A little, right? little something, something. Also, a little question for you. Uh, do you know who Susan Green was trained by? Hold on a second. She's from Texas. Come on. You th- She's from Texas. Yes, she is. So, yes, um, she is. Okay, who do we have? Yeah, the Von Erichs down in Texas, but this is before the Von Erichs for sure. Probably mm-hmm. uh, the Bosch's, Blanchard's. Blanchard's. Try Blanchard's. There you go. Blanchard. Not Tully, but his dad. I don't know his name. Joe. Joe Blanchard. There you go. Joe Blanchard. Made her debut in 1969 at the age of 15 years old. What? Wow. At the age of 15 in 1969. So she was 1920. No wonder why I had a crush yeah. on her. She was uh, in 1972. She, she's 50, she was only 18 years 18 old. 18 years old. Yeah. You see? Yeah. 
Yeah. And so it wasn't even that she wasn't that much older than me. I was 15. I mean, you know, I could have dated her. Who knows? And, and Mula was only what, uh, 85 then? She was uh, she was about 76 <laughs> or something like that. But uh, there is something about Susan uh, Tex, uh, Susan Tex Green. There's a documentary that was released earlier this year about Susan Green uh, called Out of the Ring. It was a documentary about her life and also being gay in the, in the wrestling business. What? Out in the Ring is what it's called. Oh, I know. I, I didn't know that. I'll have to check that out for sure. Uh, so it's also kind of an expose on Moolah, too. Uh, and another little interesting tidbit on, on Moolah, Susan Green. 1976, Susan Green put Moolah in a submission hold and won the title. No way. She held it for several days, but it was never really acknowledged because Vince McMahon Sr. forced her to surrender the title back, uh, and it was never recognized by the WWE. You know, there were some shoots that went down back in the day. Why would anybody want to shoot on Moolah? That doesn't make sense to me. She was such a nice person. Maybe uh, there was a little personality conflict. Maybe there, there. was. Maybe there was, you know, and, and Moolah Maybe was. Maybe there was. What happened to Wendy Richter? At Madison Square Garden. She didn't even know she was wrestling Mula. She was wrestling Spider Woman. I don't believe that at all. I do. I, I believe that she she knew it was her, but she didn't know she was put, you know, until she got in the ring with her that she was going to put her over. I don't know. She got in the ring because she had worked against a woman named Spider Woman before. Uh -huh. She did not know that she was going to lose the title that night. Mula came in. She knew who it was Mula when Mula got in the yeah. ring. But it was not who she was supposed to work against. And, of course, she gets that count with Wendy's shoulders not even being on the mat. Then it turned into a real Donnybrook, a real brawl in the middle of the ring. And Wendy started whipping Moolah with the belt for real and threw it at her, left in her ring outfit, got into a cab and left. I, I, I would love to see some of that video. I've seen that video before, but I'd love to see the Susan Green putting uh, Moolah out. Making I don't think that's been documented. Wow. That's interesting. Thank you, Richie, for those little tidbits. Because sometimes yeah, Richie uh, comes through each and every episode for us, and sometimes we put them in the beginning of the show. Sometimes we put them at the end of the show. We just fit them in where we think it would make the biggest impact. Exactly. And I think today uh, we gave the fans, uh, as we conclude this episode today, uh, some really cool trivia <laughs> to kind of put your mind active and think about years gone by there you go and there will be no uh show in the month of august but we will be back september 2nd where pedro morales will take on the big cat ernie lad yeah i need a vacation so i'm glad that there's no show in august i mean <laughs> but then we got two i mean this, we got two in, in september this is just, i know i mean it's like you know this is so taxing on my time because <laughs> it's like it, it takes up like days and days, days and of days. prep work for this <laughs> It takes me, takes me, I'll tell everybody what we do. Timmy and I, Tim, Tim and I and Richie get together on a call and we discuss, you know, the show and the, some of the research and we start, you know, taking a few notes down, but it's kind of freewheeling. But as soon as we turn that microphone on, when we're taping, all bets are out. Everything's thrown out the window and we just go yes. for it. And you hope on that particular day that my memory is quick and I could remember what happened 50 years You're ago. You're not taking notes? I take notes. 
I never No? Did. Okay. So, yeah, and, and also when when Richie and John and myself get on a Zoom together, we we talk a lot of things besides wrestling. So, a lot of times oh, yeah. we we go off on this tangent and that tangent. So, and that's how it came up like, hey, we're going to do another show. So, in September, we're going to be giving you two shows. One's for the Patreon, which yes. will be our Shea Stadium show, and the other one is September 2nd with the main event being Pedro versus the Big Cat Ernie Ladd. Hey, we want to thank um where we we get all this stuff from. Uh once again, shout out to Scott Teal and Crowbar Press. That's right. Great uh, Bible for me and all of us who researched this show, and it brings back a lot of memories to read those results uh, in that in that book about the garden from Scott Teal and Crowbar Press. Anything else, John? That's about it, Tim. I mean, uh, wonderful to see you again. Good it's you. been quite a while. I know you've been on some adventures yes. and traveling around the country and, you know, looking for things that are far above into the sky. I mean, looking at the beautiful mountains uh, in the wilderness and having just a wonderful time. You look great. You look like you lost some weight out there because, I mean, you were just eating plants and whatever you could find out there in the desert. <laughs> so uh, but you've come back and, you, you know, you look very healthy. You got that you got that uh, that glow about you and uh, it's always a pleasure to be in your presence. It's always a pleasure to do the show with you. It's very entertaining for me and I hope it is for you is. as well as our listeners. It is. It is. All right, for John Rizzi, I'm Tim Putre. We'll see you next time. Bye.